The following is provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu. Well, I'd like to welcome you to our continuation of the Neal Conference on True Spirituality. It's uh, good to see you here, Covenant College students. It's good to see many uh, friends of the college, alumni, visitors. We are glad to have you here with us. And I just want to take an opportunity uh, to thank a number of people who have put in a lot of hours to help make this conference possible. There are a lot of details that go along with hosting a conference like this, travel arrangements, and you'll see some of the names there of people who have gone well above and beyond the call of duty to help make this possible. I specifically want to thank Susan Cardwell and Ann Kellner, who have done just a tremendous amount of work, and I would like you to recognize the work that's been done, so thank you. Without any further ado, I would like to introduce our speaker for this morning. Uh, as you know from uh, yesterday and from those of you who were here last night, we have the privilege of sitting under the teaching of the Anglican Archbishop of the Church in Uganda, the Most Reverend Henry Luke Orambi. And I just want to tell you on a personal level how deeply I have been blessed, not only by his public ministry of the Word, but by his private ministry of prayer and encouragement. There are certain men that you respect them for their position, and then there are other men that you respect because of the integrity that comes across in personal conversation, because of the passion they have for the Lord Jesus, which is evident in everything they do. And, the gra and, and your grace, uh, you have definitely made your mark as both of those men. A man who is worthy of honor and dignity because of your title, but even more so a man who it is my privilege to spend time with because your evident love for the Lord Jesus and your desire to share that love with these students. And so it is my privilege to introduce the, the Archbishop of the Anglican Province of Uganda, the Most Reverend Henry Luke Orambi. Thank you very much indeed. I am so thankful to God for this big brother Aaron. I've come to love this man a lot. I'm not sure I can take him back with me to Uganda, but I'm so happy that God has raised him and put him here. Last night was day one, whole day here. And when it was about 9.30 in the evening, I was beginning to feel the jet leg in the body, and I was looking for my bed, which I fortunately found. <laughs> and I, I went right into it, and I slept very well. Your place is beautiful. The air here is so clean. And uh, you're so elevated in such a way that you're very close to God, by the way, and I'm so <laughs> thankful to come here. I'm very, very grateful to God. This morning, I have a problem, and my problem is, I, I think I'm speaking to young people who are students, and I get to see there are many other very important dignitaries here. And so I have to try to be a good cook that can cook for every level of appetite uh, this morning. 
And I'm asking God to help me to do that. But my joy is, is big. I notice this is my one, the second whole day, and tomorrow is only half. I am just surprised the days are running like they have wings, and I just thank God for that. That makes me go to eternity a little quicker than I expect. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you very much for today, and we bless the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one who chose to come and die for us. Our death he took upon himself. Our punishment he took upon himself. Our disgrace he took upon himself. Lord Jesus, we thank you for saying yes to the Father that we too may find our place in the heart of the Father. I pray that you will open my heart and loosen my tongue and fill my brothers and sisters with your faith to respond to your living word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Does it help? There was a very wise teacher who every morning he walked to his class, met his students, he would take off his cap and he would bow to his students say good morning or good afternoon. When they respond, then he put back his cap. Every day, this great man, very seasoned teacher, very wise, would do that every morning. One very bold student one day asked him, he said, sir, why do you show such a respect to us students? You should be doing that to some people who are more dignified than ourselves. He said, young man, the time you will be very important, I will not be there. I would have long died. But just so that you know, I want to pay my respect to you now because you will be somebody that will be worth respecting, but I will not be there to do it. So I may as well do it now. You know, I take my hat to you young people here because only God knows what you will be tomorrow. Only God knows what you will do to this world, to this nation, to this church tomorrow. And at the same time, I can look at the scripture that I want to read to you now. Jesus doing the same to us leaving his glorious kingdom in heaven attended to by angels and archangels, coming to inhabit the womb of a peasant girl in Nazareth, incubated for nine months and being born in a manger in Bethlehem, and ran as a refugee in Africa, and went back to Nazareth, grew in a little, very poor village of Nazareth. He never owned a four-wheel drive car, he never owned a house. When he wanted some transport, he went and borrowed a donkey. And he went into Jerusalem not like a victorious commander, but a humble king. When he was dying, he died between two thieves, half naked. Crown of thorns instead of golden crown. He died lonely. His friends had gone away. His mother was weeping by the cross. Other women were doing the same. He looked at his mother, 
He looked at John. He said, Mother, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. He could even care when things were really hard for him. He was able to say to his tormentors and people who crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He was able to call to paradise a thief on his right who was able to ask him, Remember me, Lord, when you come to your kingdom and you say, Today we shall be with you in paradise. He could even reach out when he himself was bound on that cross. He took his head for us so that we can become children of God. And you and I belong to that family. That's my joy. Your color skin may be different. The length of your hair may be different to mine. But that doesn't matter. We belong to that family, don't we? We belong. We are brothers and sisters in him. That is a thing that we could not have done for ourselves. That is only what God can do. And he did it because he is God and we are we. Turn with me to John chapter 6 and verse 35. I want to read a few verses for you there. The Gospel of John chapter 6 and verse 39. 35, I beg your pardon. Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, they said, some people say you are John the Baptist. Others say you are Elijah. Some other people say you are one of the prophets of all that has come back to life. And then he turns to his disciples and says, and who do you say I am? Peter quickly replied, the Christ of God, the Messiah. And yesterday we looked at the ministry and uh, the constitutional statement of Jesus Christ when he stood up to say the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me. That's not the constitution. It was a manifesto to preach the good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord to Israel. And that is a messiah, messianic ministry and mission. But I would like today Jesus to answer this same question himself. If you were to ask my wife, who is Henry Orombi? She would tell you, 35 years ago we got married with this man. I didn't quite know him, but I got married to him because he was very handsome, slim, and nice looking. <laughs> and we got married, and I begin to know him now, and this man is such a wonderful husband to me. I hope so. And he is a man who I have followed all along, all over the place. But if you ask my children, who is your dad? My children are very amazing kids. When they were younger, we used to ask those questions. Describe a member of your family as a bird or as an animal, whatever it is. I used to be the dove, the gentle, the wonderful person. Then they grew up a little bit. They were teenagers. I became a scorpion, a snake. <laughs> and all kinds of things. So if they were asked to ask them, who is your father? I can assure you the kind of answers that you will get is not the kind you want to hear. But if you are to ask me, Henry, who are you? I think I will try very hard to explain to you who I am. But I probably may not even get it. But this morning I want Jesus to tell us, Lord, who are you? In verse 35, 
John 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Look down to verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is a bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I'll give for the life of the world is my flesh. In verse 53, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and will be raised up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in, in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is a bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I am the bread of life. He's not saying, I give the bread of life. No. I am the bread of life. The context of this is a story of the miracle of feeding 5,000. That feeding came because he had compassion over the people who had sat under his feet for three days and they were tired and hungry. So he asked his disciples, will you feed these people? Go get some food for them. And the disciples said, particularly Philip, he said 200 Darira would not buy enough food for each of them to get a little. But then Andrew was another different man. He said, but there's a little boy here who has some bread and some fish. And Jesus asks them to bring the bread, five loaves and two fish. And he blesses it and he broke it. And you know what he did? He gave it to the disciples to give out. And they ate, and they ate, and they, they got filled, and there was a lot remaining. Jesus said, gather the crumbs, let nothing be lost. Twelve baskets were gathered. You know, sometimes I preach about this topic, and I talk to my leaders particularly, of how Jesus would want to use them in the compassion ministry, be part of that ministry together with them, that Jesus would give the bread to them to give to the people. And I asked my leaders, I say, at what point did the disciples eat? I'm sure they were also hungry. At what point did they eat? Maybe they are theological students here, I don't know. But there are also great men of God here who know the scripture so well. At what point did they eat? Now the scripture is silent. But I want to ask, why would they gather the crumbs? And not just leave it there for the ants and other things to carry away, because this was finished, business. I tell my leaders, listen. It's so important to feed the people. Then you have time to eat from the 12 baskets that remain. I seem to even think, if there were 12 disciples, why should there be 12 baskets? The easier mathematics, there is one basket per person, and that's a lot of stuff. But that's not the issue. The issue here is he fed the people. The issue here is the people went away so rejoicing. You know what they decided to do? These guys wanted to make him the king who feeds people. 
He disappeared. He went to pray. The next story after that is him walking on water. Now we are not going to touch that one. He went across the lake. And these people, because yesterday they ate, and they ate so much of this fish and bread, were looking for him. Were looking for him because if this is the guy who feeds us, then we have no problem. We follow him, we shall be eating every day. Now, this is the point he got them. Jesus is so amazing as a teacher, he takes the natural that we know very well to bring forward the supernatural that many of us will never understand unless by revelation. So he begins to talk to them. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I am the bread of life. Come eat me, then your hunger will be sorted out. Come drink of me, then your thirst will be sorted out. Now, two things which are very common to everybody, whether you're a little baby or you're an old man. Two, one is need for drinking, and two is need for eating food. I come from a church where somewhere before the death of Jesus and his resurrection, we, we observe a 40 days of Lent. Now, we are supposed to fast. We are supposed to fast. Now, as an Anglican, I used not to understand what fasting is, but they told me, do away with some things that you so love. Like me, I love coffee early in the morning. So do away with coffee for 40 days. Or do away with the best food you love. And for me, I love fish, by the way. If you want to give me a good meal, give me fish. Uh, do away with fish for 40 days. Or do away with some leisure for something you love so much for 40 days. My friends, if that is the kind of fasting Jesus had in the desert, then we are underestimating the seriousness of, fight, of, of fasting. The fasting, which is like going without eating for some time, is a very big challenge for many of us. There is this nation called America, and it is a land of plenty, including food. A few days ago, I was watching a, a, a documentary where people who are addicted to food eat themselves to death. And I was so taken by, by major surprise that sometimes what should keep life can become a problem to us. And it's a serious problem to other people who decide even not to eat. Then they refuse to eat until they are skeleton. That's still this great contrast in this country. And I'm so amazed. And yet we need food. We live to eat. We don't live to eat unless we are addicted, but we eat to live. Do you remember that the entry point of temptation for the very first Adam was eating? Do you remember that the very first temptation for the second Adam in the desert was also food? Food. But Jesus Christ says, whoever eats me shall not hunger. Let me look with you the next moment briefly at the kind of hunger. It's not just the hunger of the stomach. Humanity has hunger. I want to point out four types of very deep hunger of humanity. Hunger number one is hunger for power. Hunger for control. It begins even when we are babies. 
I notice little babies trying to control their mothers. They are going to demand from their mothers to a point where if you're not a wise mother, they can ruin your day. Screaming all over the place and doing all kinds of things. And sometimes I notice when a mother is breastfeeding, this little fellow has a breast here and he's controlling the other breasts as if they're twins, even if he's alone. And as we grow up, we want to control, we want power. I notice in this world where we are, people hunger for political power. We go into politics in order to be top of people. It doesn't matter how we get there. We may even walk over them in order to get there. And we can say all kinds of things, scheme all kinds of ways to get political power. The great political divide we had before was the free west and the communist bloc. And there was what you called political cold war going on. Political power is a power that mankind craves for, hungers for. There is another power that we hunger for, and that's economic power. The ability to have, the ability to have so that you can be powerful and you can do anything you would like to do. And many of us want to get the money in order to fulfill our hunger. And so we work for it and we scheme for it. And I do believe that this is a growing hunger in anybody because it is a human need in our lives. Another thing that I believe is a power that we hunger for is military power. Right now, the American military prowess, I believe, is the most sophisticated. I remember when the Israelites escaped from Egypt, according to the scripture, they were ex slaves a moment ago and this time Moses is leading them out and they were going then they get to the Red Sea and there they could not go anywhere and the power of the day, Egyptian power powerful military at the point marshaled themselves and they were following these ex-slaves and when they saw them come, my friends they quaked with fear, even Moses did, he was crying before God today the American military muscle is big you're a superpower now, this is a human hunger. Power politically, power economically, power militarily. The second hunger is a hunger. Before I go to that second power, let me just tell you the kind of power that Jesus would give you and me. The power that Jesus would give you and me. It may not be necessarily political, military, or economic. Jesus is going to give you power. Let me give you a message here from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I, I know you know it. But let me read it for you. This is what he says. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and the power will help you to do the followings. The power will help you to be a witness, a witness. May the Spirit of God give you power, friends. I never knew the power of God to witness because I found it very hard to witness. You know, to come and witness before somebody who may not even want to hear what you are saying is not very easy. Even if you're not going to speak, to witness in your own family where they know you so well is so hard. When I was a young, dynamic evangelist, I had a problem. I was trying to witness to young people. So I said, Lord, I need to dress up. If you give me a kind of 
hands which can be very applicable to young people, I think I can stand and win their hearts. And God was very interesting. He gave me the pants I was looking for. Still, I could not stand. My knees would be knocking and I would be sweating. Then I told the Lord, Lord, if you would give me a bicycle so that when I finish teaching, I can ride quickly to my church and then get to go and uh, witness among young people. God even gave me that bicycle and I never even had the power to do it. Until someday the Lord helped me to understand that it is not my power, it is not my ability, it's not my charm, it's not my eloquence, it is the power of the Spirit of God that will help me to witness. I will not even have the guts to stand in front of you great guys here. And some of you are so well-trained and great people. My friends, I wouldn't even have the power to stand here to say anything. And maybe there, there are some people here who would long to witness, but they just don't know how to do it because they feel, can I do it? The power to witness. There is also that power needed that God can give you to serve. A power to be able to be a servant. Could you believe that the God who created heaven and earth became a servant to the point where he washed the feet of his disciples and Peter could not put up with it. Peter said, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. I should be doing it for you. You are my teacher. You are my master. You are my Lord. Why wash my feet? To Peter, that was a big, big challenge. I remember I was teaching on servant leadership to my leaders back home. And there was a point where I wanted to demonstrate what Jesus did in washing the feet of these guys. Now, you know, in my country, the archbishop is no small person. He's a, a political power. He's a very powerful public opinion leader. Now I had this clergy with me. I was yet a bishop, not even the archbishop. The time came when I secretly brought water and a basin and a towel and soap. And I came before the people who were sitting in front. I went to the first person and I said, would you remove your shoes? I brought my water and I poured it in the basin. This man busted out crying. Real tears. And I don't know what was going on in his mind. I don't know what he thought I was trying to do to him. He could not stomach me kneeling before him and washing his feet. He could not. Not you, Bishop. I could understand what Peter went through. But Jesus Christ, who was anointed with power in Jordan, was able to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve. The power that we crave for and we desire for should be the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to serve. And then there is also the power to overcome temptation. This power will enable us to overcome temptation. You remember, Jesus would have not gone to the desert until he was anointed with the Spirit of God. He received the Spirit of God, and therefore he had the ability to go and confront Satan in the desert. After 40 days of fasting, the enemy came, and he began to speak and whisper into his ears, and he was able to withstand. Believer, that's the power you need. That's the power you need. The second hunger that I want to address, which is very human in me, and in you too, I believe, is a hunger for recognition. A hunger for recognition. We all want to appear. We all want to be. We want our self-esteem never to suffer. Suffer. We want to be where we can be recognized. And I believe that is in us. 
And sometimes some of us, because we are trying to be, sometimes even what we are not, is so tough for us. And many of us get depressed. And some of us get into inferiority complex. And you think other people are better than you are. Let me tell you, there is something that I believe can satisfy that particular hunger. Let me give you one reference, and that is John chapter 15 and verse 14. I love to think about this because it is very therapeutic. John 15 and verse 14. Listen to the word. Jesus says to his followers, You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Friends of Jesus. I don't know what party you belong to in this country, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, I don't know. But supposing the White House sent you a message that tomorrow morning the president of your country would like you to have breakfast with him. Could you shun away that invitation? I don't think so. To have breakfast with the president of a country is no mean experience. Uh, many of us may not have the opportunity to walk into the White House, but if that is possible, I think it is good. But to be called a friend of the creator of heaven and earth. To be lifted up from a humble position. To be with the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend. And he's willing to see you in the eyes. He's willing to listen to you. He's willing to understand a friend of Jesus Christ. You don't have to work for it, friends. You don't have to do anything about it. He himself came down. He himself offered to be a friend. In fact, the Bible tells me, he says, I, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will walk in, sit with him, eat with him, and he with me. A friend. A friend of the mighty God. What an exaltation. What a promotion. Now, you don't need to be fighting for recognition. No. You are already recognized by God in Jesus Christ. Secondly, in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, there is another bit there which I want you to turn with me to. And, and, and if you don't have your Bible, just write it down and I, I ask you to read it. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. The Lord says to Jeremiah these words, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The God who knows us right from our womb. The God who knows our DNA, the God who knows the bits that will make us, our height, our color, the color of our eyes, whatever we are, the mental ability, he knows them. The God who knows me by name, man, that makes me so proud. That makes me so encouraged and excited to know that God knows me. He said to Jeremiah, I knew you. And I even consecrated you. I appointed you. I knew you right from the beginning. Now, dear beloved, the Lord knows you, has you. You don't have to be anything else. You don't have to have to work hard for it. He knows you. Now, for me, that is the best recognition. You know, I would stand here for a week. I will speak to you, and I may go away without even knowing your name. That does not matter. The six billion people on earth, the Lord knows them by name, including you and me. 
I am known by the Lord. You are known by the Lord. Finally, in Jeremiah 29, 11, the verse that many of you must know, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. I have planned for you. I have set up a direction for you, a path for you. And that's why to me, when I minister to young people, my heart warms up because I know the Lord has plans for each one of you. You probably haven't seen it yet. I've already told you mine is already opened up and I've come to the dead end of any promotion. I told you that, didn't I? I have one more remaining, and that is to see him face to face. One day, that will happen. But as for you, it's all intact. As for you, it is all kept in the secret heart of God, but those plans are there. You can rejoice in the fact that he has plans for you, and those plans are for you and you only. And let me tell you, it may not be the same with your friend, even with your brother or sister. The third hunger that we have, and Jesus alone can fulfill it, is a hunger for love. A hunger for love. I want to be loved. I have many people who may admire me, many people who follow me, but I want people who really love me. People who can love me and speak to me anything they can speak to me, which can be hard, but because they love me, they can say so. A little baby wants to be loved. A young person wants to be loved. An old man wants to be loved. An old woman wants to be loved. We are all receptive for love. We all want to be loved. Now, love is that which, when it comes your way, it changes your appearance. I see a young woman falling in love. She glows. I see a man falling in love. She can't, he can't stop smiling. I see two people falling in love, walking hand in hand. They would rather float above the ground. Why? Because there is this power in love. Unfortunately, love has been many broken hearts because of false promises that are never kept. When I talk to my people back home, I don't know whether it applies in America, but in my, in my country, the boy-girl relationship is one big industry that we have back home. But I tell my young people, I said, you girls never ever believe a boy when he tells you he loves you. Because boys have a very crafty manner to get rather than to give. It's very easy for a boy to tell as many lies as possible to win a girl. That's back home. It may not be so. And when he has got the girl, he can discard the girl without even thinking. And yet when a girl is committed in a relationship, she's stuck there. She is so committed, she gives the whole of herself and her head a heart I haven't heard of a broken heart of a man. I've heard of so many broken hearts of women. Is it because their hearts are fragile? No, because they take relationship very seriously. But let me tell you that hunger too is fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the famous gospel that we know and everybody knows it from kindergarten. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him may not die but have eternal life. You know it. I know it. 
that the love of God drew salvation's plan. His grace brought it down to us. There is a song that goes like that. That God loves us irrespective of where I come from, what background I come from, what part of the globe I come from, what I look like. God just loves me because he loves me. I don't even have to qualify because I don't. You don't have to qualify. He just is love. And when he comes to you, he comes to you because he loves you. God loves me. And I thank him for loving me. And I thank him for loving you too. And you know why? That's why I am commanded to love you, whether I like it or not. I was doing a mission somewhere, and this guy put me in his van. And when I walked into his van, he said, you know, Bishop Henry, we really love you. I told him, you have no choice. You have to love me anyway, because you are commanded to love me. But when I know I love God, and when I know God loves me, and I receive the fountain of love in my heart, then I'm able to love other people. The Lord loves me, and the Lord loves you. That can satisfy that hunger once you tap into it, to the knowledge and the understanding that you don't have to do anything to be loved of God. You are just to be who you are, and God will just pour his love in you. In John chapter 10 and verse 10b, there is a tremendous revelation there that Jesus gives to his hearers. The first bit of it, he says, the, thieves co the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The love of God fills you and me with perpetual energy to live life rejoicing in him and walking in him to live a satisfying life, a life that comes every day with this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Comes with a, a strength that wakes you up and you hear the singing of the birds and you say, the Lord has made these birds to sing for him, so must I. But sometimes, you know, you wake up in the morning and you have a splitting headache and you probably have a hangover from yesterday and you wake up in the morning and say, is this yet another day again? When you know that the Lord can fill you with abundant life, friends, you know that it can be problem, it can be difficulties, and yet the Lord energizes me and I keep going and I keep going. Abundant life because of love he has given me. And then finally... There is a promise in the word of God that because he loves you and me, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Others can run away. He's the only one who sticks closer to you than the brother. Finally, there's a hunger for joy and there is a hunger for peace. Sometimes it is translated in pursuits of pleasure. We want somewhere where we can be lifted high. We want certain things that can make us feel good. Listen, the joy of the Lord comes to enable you to be firm and to be strong. And the Bible tells me in John chapter 15, I want to read verse 33, and this is what it says. Verse 33. Verse 11, I beg your pardon. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You know, the, the believers of the early days were known for the joy, the celebration, and they were contagious with their joy. 
come from a background where many people are materially poor. But what they excel in above all else is the joy of the Lord. These guys, you find them, they are singing, they are dancing, they are celebrating life. They, they are happy. And you wonder, what have they done? Do you remember that during the Pentecost day, when the Holy Spirit came, these guys were bubbling in tongues and the rest of it. What did others people say? They said, these guys are drunk. Because some people look for alcohol to make them joyous, to make them forget, to make them let loose what they are. No, we don't need that. Paul says to the Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, for it will ruin you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It will give you the joy of the Spirit of God. Such is also peace comes as a result of God in Christ giving us his only gift of peace. Let me finish because I know the time is up now. He gave us his life so that we can have our deepest needs and desire fulfilled. And therefore the hunger is settled. The thirst is quenched. The Lord is saying to his hearers, I am the only one who can satisfy your longing. Even the longing of a young person. The Lord can satisfy it. I believe that many of us have questions in life and there are so many. And when I come to God in Jesus Christ, he begins to answer those questions one by one. And if he doesn't finish it, he can, I can promise you, someday he will finish it when you get on the other side. I am the bread of life. He says, eat me, drink my blood. What does it mean? Take my life into you, live my life on a daily basis. Paul says, I no longer live. I live by faith in him because I also have been crucified with Christ. I am now living the life that he alone can live in me, not my life. It's no longer the Orombi life. It is Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let us pray. Father God, I am so grateful that you have spoken to us assurance that you know the hunger of our lives, the lack of our lives, the need for all kinds that are there, need to control, need for recognition, need for love, need for joy and peace. Father, you know each one of us and our deep need. I thank you that this morning Jesus can speak to us clear and say, come eat of me, for I'm the bread of life. Lord, how I long that we have the great appetite of eating of you. And every time we come to the communion table, the magnificent demonstration of your self-sacrifice, you are sacrificing yourself so that we can become liberated and become the children of God under the protection of the living God. Father, there be people here this morning who do not feel the abundant love and they feel completely lonely and dry. I ask, Lord, may you shed abroad love in their lives. And maybe there are people who have been so injured in some ways that they are bitter, angry, and in their hearts they are boiling hot and burning to bits. Father, may you stop that raging fire in them and soothe them with the oil of your love. There may be people here, Lord, 
who are struggling for recognition. They don't feel that they figure anywhere. And they look at the people who are better and successful and they feel in their hearts, Lord, what about me? I ask you to assure them that even this morning you are a friend to them. That this morning you will hold their hands and walk with them. Father, there will be people here who long to control because they feel it is their right to be so. God, may I ask you to humble them the way you did Saul so that he can understand that it is not by power nor by might, but it is by the Spirit of God. I ask your blessings upon your church now, that we may feed of you, Lord, that we may be strengthened to face any challenge, even today, be it study or work, that we may be able to face any darkness today, being in our own personal lives or the lives of our loved ones. We may be able to go through anything today, for we know you promise you will never leave us, nor forsake us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. The proceeding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia and available at itunes.covenant.edu.